George Soros-funded organizations buying up conservative radio stations to silence them. Amazon and Google threatening to block Twitter if Musk opens the platform to counter opinions. Seeing a pattern yet? Well, they can try. But the truth will always find a way. And this is TNN, the Truth News Network. With your guide, Dan Newman. Actually, it's totally about totalitarianism. That's what makes George Soros happy when he finds out he can buy up something just because he's got more money than they do. And if he wants to close them down, hey, if I pay the price for a radio station that's doing conservative media work right now and I don't like what they're programming and I can't find something else to program on that station, we'll just shut it down. Power power. We say it over and over again to make everyone understand. Used to be about money in Washington, D.C. Everything had at the bottom of it. You could always find a quest, a lust for money. Well, that never went away, but its position on the pecking order in Washington changed when political pundits up there realized, you know what? We can have all the other stuff that we want, and have money too. Here's how you do it. Instead of focusing on getting money, just focus on getting power. And when you get the power, when you have somewhere a little tick to the right of 50% of the power that's out there for political stuff, you get 51%. Then you control everything, including the money. When you look around the world today, folks, and you see everything that just doesn't seem to be clicking in the right way, a lot of it doesn't make sense. No explanation given either. It's all the weaponization of everything that they want to weaponize against conservatives and conservatism. That's what this is about. It's about doing away with government of government by and government for the people. It's got to be forever etched in stone that it's government for government and government controls everything and government controls everybody. That's their utopia that they are trying their darndest to seize during this four years where the hard left control the politics in the United States of America, led by one of the most feckless, cognitive, declining individuals to ever serve in any federal office in America, Joe Biden. Hi there. How are you doing? <laughs> did, you have, did you have a good Wednesday? You know, as we head into the dog days of summer, things seem to change. In many places, the temperature, and when I'm saying temperature in this, in this setting, I'm not talking about weather. I'm talking about the energy, the angst among people. In some places, it just spikes up. But in other places, it just goes down. It's kind of like somebody just does a big sigh, like, (sighs) you just slow down and make life a little better for a couple of months. That's the stage that I want you to be in. I don't want you to be, um, be sweating and out there trying to figure things out when figuring them out really doesn't matter. It's going to be what it's going to be. And 
We can't change it. Those things that we can't change, and you've tried, you've been very, very uh, investigative. You've looked and looked and you tried to find some way to push through it and you can't do it. There's nothing you can do to change it. We just got to decide that's the way it is. And then we're going to do a little bit of this this, or a, a little bit of that to try to make things work. That's where I am in this thing. I could spend the whole day, every day, just going, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? And you know what? That does nobody any good. In fact, it makes things worse because then we start making decisions based on not facts, but emotions and opinions that we haven't verified. We don't even know what we're feeling, yet alone know why we're feeling it and what we can do about it. And yet we want to make decisions that change everything around us and everyone around us. I get it. We want to do what's best for us and our families. And in most cases throughout history, those wants that we have align with the wants of the leaders of our nation. Not so much anymore. The American people, when you look at the equation of what and why our government functions, we're not even in the equation anymore. We're just a casual passerby that they've got to nod and tip their hats to us every once in a while just because we really are the bosses and we're not exercising our responsibilities as American citizens. We're letting our government, we're just saying, you guys go do it. You make the decisions. How do you think we got in this condition? We certainly didn't make the decisions that are causing what's going on now. We did make one that led to it, and that is to let them loose. Let them make the decisions, the choices that they want to. Well, we got plenty of that going around, don't we? We could spend the whole show any day talking about, oh, this politician did this, or it's alleged this one did this. This is the time of year. This is the time in the election cycle, the midterms, where it normally really gets contentious. Every member of the United States House of Representatives has to face an election every other year, every two years. And they call the elections for the House of Representatives the midterm elections. And there are other offices that are involved in this thing in November. But let me just say this. There's a lot at stake, not just for you and not just for me, but for our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, and every American, and not just Americans, not just those that are here legally, but anybody that is living or maybe just passing through the United States, it impacts everybody. And then the ripple effects of whatever happens and whatever the United States does, it ripples and it affects every state in the world, every person in the world, maybe not head on, but at nothing in the United States that happens exists in a vacuum. Everybody is involved in it in one way or another. We really should think about that. Our government officials should really think about that before they make all these decisions that we're seeing play out here. And let me tell you this. We could spend all day drumming on 
January 6th committee. We could spend all day saying the January 6th committee was justified and is doing a great job when they're going after Donald Trump. We could talk bad about our politicians in D.C. We could do all that kind of stuff. But what we need to begin to do, especially now, and if we haven't already been doing it, is find some cornerstones on which we can be confident that within those walls that those cornerstones mark, we will be able to make some educated decisions that will be the best for those that are in our lives. And that means holding our politicians accountable. That should be first and foremost. When we build the cornerstones in our lives and around those, or those cornerstones represent the walls that are around the lives that we build for ourselves and for our family members, even our businesses, if you're an entrepreneur and people that work for you there, those need to be constructed based on good information and good facts. Part of that process is when people are running for office, they talk about the things that Americans, at least in their mind, really want and about those things that Americans don't want. They made their promises accordingly. And it's sad that today it's almost commonplace that every promise a politician makes, if it ever gets fulfilled, it's not because that politician is the one that pulled the levers to make it happen. It just happened. Somebody else did it, or somebody started a process that within that process it included accidentally fulfilling the promise that you voted for that politician to do when they really didn't do it. It just was part of the process. But there are so many predictions that are being made in politics that the American people just shy away from even listening to them, let alone believing them. Do you remember during the Trump administration, even before, in the run-up to the election of 2016, do you remember the predictions that Trump got during his tenure in the White House, especially those about Joe Biden? He made a bunch of them. Trump accurately warned voters that Biden's policies would attack free speech in the Second Amendment. Look what's happened. He said Biden's actions would cause illegal immigrants to flood the southern border like never before. Consumers would suffer high gas prices and a failing economy. He predicted all of that. Trump warned that Biden's administration would implement a radical left agenda, including attacks on both the First and the Second Amendments. He's following the radical left agenda. Take away your guns, destroy your Second Amendment rights, no religion, no anything, hurt the Bible, hurt God. He's against God. He's against guns. He's against energy, our kind of energy. Trump said that. That's a direct quote from August of 2020. If Joe Biden gets in, your Second Amendment is gone. It's gone, either obliterated to a point of being gone or gone itself. Trump told supporters on September 8th of 2020 in Florida. The Trump campaign also released an ad. You probably remember this. It warned Biden openly admitted his plan to violate our Second Amendment rights. To gun owners out there who say, well, a Biden administration means they're going to come for my guns. Bingo. You're right. Biden said that. That's Biden talking. In a clip from CNN, the Trump campaign turned it into an ad. 
Factcheck.org claimed Trump's ad was nothing more than an out-of-context video clip of Biden. Biden's comments at Cross Hall on gun violence reignited his calls for Congress to begin restricting the Second Amendment. He claimed the Constitution does not give Second Amendment absolute protection, which it does, and the Supreme Court has ruled on that numerous times. The Second Amendment, like all other rights, he said, Biden said, is not absolute. It was Justice Scalia who wrote, the rights granted by the Second Amendment are not unlimited. Not unlimited. It never has been, Biden said. We need to ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. And if we can't ban assault weapons, then we should raise the age to purchase them from 18 to 21. Strengthen background checks. Enact safe uh, safe storage laws and red flag laws. Repeal the immunity that protects gun manufacturers from liability. He signed his very first new gun control legislation in 28 years with the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act into law on June 25th. That bill includes millions of dollars in incentives for states that will pass those red flag laws. You know what those are? Red flag laws, it's a process now that your government has. Your town, your city, your parish, your county, your state, and your federal government. They can arbitrarily now, based on even a phone call in which people lie, they can literally come to your house and take your weapons because it's been confirmed that you're a danger and you have guns and you shouldn't be trusted. That's a law right now. It just passed, people. Millions of dollars for states that pass those red flag laws. You pass them, we'll send you money. It expands federal background checks, increases waiting periods before a sale can be approved, and it redefines who can register as a federal firearms licensee. In other words, somebody that legally buys and sells guns. Biden said the bill doesn't go as far as he wanted, but it does include actions I've long called for, he said, that will save lives. And then there's Joe's open border policy. Trump told us all Biden's border policies would leave the southern border wide open to illegal immigrants. During his 2020 campaign, Trump said this, quote, think of that, abolish immigration enforcement. They're going to abolish immigration enforcement, abolish immigration detention, no more detention. You come in here illegally, no more detention. Stop all deportation. So if we get a MS-13 gang member, which we've taken out of our country in the thousands, brought them back to Honduras, to Guatemala, can't do that anymore. El Salvador, can't do that anymore. Stop all deportations. So in other words, we'll take all of these people, many of whom are in prison for rape, murder, lots of other things. Expand asylum for all new illegal aliens. How about that one? All new illegal aliens expand asylum. Incentivize illegal alien child smuggling. Give it an incentive. Because if you look at what they're saying, that's exactly what they do. Incentivize illegal alien child smuggling. The Associated Press rated these Trump predictions I'm sharing. These are 
actual quotes from President Trump. The AP labeled them as false in almost every detail. Of course, they didn't release the details, the specifics that they say made them false. Still, a recent report by Republicans in the U.S. House shows Trump was right and the fact-checkers were wildly inaccurate in everything they said. Customs and Border Protection's data shows its agency has apprehended over 2.9 million illegals crossing the border since Biden took office. 2.9. That includes 239,416 migrants in May alone, one month, almost a quarter of a million. At least 50 illegal border crosses since October 2021 were identified as suspects on the terrorist watch list. Now, how do you get your name on the terrorist watch list? The FBI's terrorist watch list. You create and do some heinous acts on a lot of people. And the acts that you commit are terrorist acts. That's how you get labeled as a terrorist. 50 of those that we know of came across our southern border. This is all the highest in Border Patrol's 22-year record for monthly crossings in the second month in a row for this record high. That's up 32% from May of 2021. That is a 930% increase from 2020. Who was in office in 2020? Donald Trump. Nine times more people have come into the United States illegally in Joe Biden's first year than did during the same time in Trump's presidency. May this year became the 15th straight month for Border Patrol to apprehend over 150,000 illegals at the border. Border Patrol seized over a million pounds of illegal drugs this year so far, and over 700,000 illegal border crossers, gotaways, that evaded apprehension since Biden took office. Let's switch gears. Trump predicted Biden's energy policies would raise prices for Americans by destroying America's energy independence. And Joe confirmed his plan to abolish the entire U.S. oil industry. Trump said that in 2020 during the campaign. That means no fracking jobs, no energy for Pennsylvania. We have more oil than anybody. And you're paying what? $2 a gallon for your gasoline? That's okay. You know what that's like? That's like a tax cut. That's bigger than a tax cut. If Biden got in, you'd be paying seven, eight, nine dollars a gallon. Then they'd say, get rid of your car, said Trump. <laughs> Trump said that before Joe was elected, folks. It's almost like you can blink your eyes quickly and take a picture because that's what Trump said back then, and it's right now the what we're experiencing. And, of course, the fact-checkers, this time the Philadelphia Inquirer's fact-checker, claimed Trump vastly oversimplified Biden's nuanced position on energy policies. Trump's statement is inaccurate. We rate it false, said the Inquirer. I'm going to quote Donald Trump again. We have more oil than anybody. And you're paying, what, $2 a gallon for your gasoline? That's okay. You know what that's like? That's like a tax cut. That's bigger than a tax cut. 
if Biden got in, you'd be paying $7, $8, $9 a gallon. Then they'd say, get rid of your car. And the Philadelphia Inquirer said what Trump just said that you heard is a lie. Gas prices in Gorda, California hit $7.60 a gallon back in March, making Trump's prediction that gas prices would skyrocket under Biden correct. And right now today, the current average price of a gallon of gas in California, you know what it is? $6.29. The national average is $4.86. The Biden campaign frequently addressed comments he made indicating the president wanted to get rid of fossil fuels. But when confronted by protesters displeased with the campaign switch to being pro-oil and gas, Biden admitted he agreed with the protesters' anti-fossil fuel agenda. We're going to get rid of fossil fuels, he said. They want to do the same thing that I want to do. They want to put, uh, they want to phase out fossil fuels and we're going to phase out fossil fuels. Trump's prediction that Biden would be against American energy was substantiated when Biden signed Executive Order Number 13990 on his first day in the Oval Office. And that order immediately attacked the oil and gas industry by canceling the Keystone XL pipeline and blocking drilling in Alaska's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, ANWR. Biden's order also directed several federal agencies like the Department of Interior, to review and eliminate all department policies that no longer conform to the administration's climate agenda. They didn't send out to you or me, hey, here's the point by point of our climate agenda. They just started shoving it down the throats of every American like they do pretty much everything else with no conversation, no debate on the floor of either the House or the Senate that we can see We can't confront anybody unless we're fortunate enough to have somebody in Congress that's a friend. They don't care about you or me. A U.S. regulatory authority published the North American Electric Reliability Corporation's May report. At least 28 U.S. states face an energy crisis through the summer months. You know why? A decline in energy capacity causing insufficient resources to maintain system reliability. The 15-state region covered by Mid-Continent Independent System Operator is at the highest risk of energy blackouts in the Western Interconnection Texas Southwest Power Pool is listed as being at an elevated risk of energy capacity issues. Biden's economy. You will see a depression the likes of which you have never seen, Trump warned Maria Bartiromo of Fox News in an interview back in August of 2020. I think if Biden wins, you're going to end up with a disaster, to be honest. I feel that if Democrats get in, we are literally going to end up in a recession or a depression the likes of which you've never seen. There'll be a tremendous negative growth. There'll be bedlam all over the place. There won't be any law and order. Consumers have suffered from the Biden administration's inflation. Their inflationary spending, it continues. Supply chain crisis. Attacks on U.S. energy markets, which have caused a decline in real wages. Crashing 401ks. The Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond 
and the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas released June survey reports showing the economy in the U.S. is slowing down under the weight of inflation. The Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas reported factory activity in Texas fell from 18.8 in May to 2.3 in June. And the New Orders Index and the Future Production Index, which gauge the market demand to plan for future manufacturing needs, it dropped for the first time in two years. It went from 19.9 to 4.0. So Janet Yellen, Biden's Treasury Secretary, she was the head of the Federal Reserve at one time. She admitted during an appearance of Wolf Blitzer's CNN show that she misjudged the warning signs of how long inflation would plague Americans. I was wrong, she said, then about the path that inflation would take. As I mentioned, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted energy and food prices and supply bottlenecks that have affected our economy badly that I didn't at the time, didn't fully understand. But we recognize that now. Let me just say this about Janet Yellen. She must be a nice lady. She must be very smart at what she does. But when someone that is the most powerful person in financial matters in our government actually admits, I didn't fully understand at the time, but we recognize that now. Don't you feel warm and fuzzy? Look out the street. Look at the gas for sale signs in your town, your city, at how much a gallon we are paying at the pump today, how much more we were paying than we were on the day the election was held back in November of 2020. It's more than doubled for me. No explanation why. The real people out there that understand business that weigh in, it's very simple, supply and demand. And the people that are responsible for the supply, you don't just go out and punch a hole in the ground somewhere and start praying. And if you get the hole deep enough, oil's going to spurt up out of the ground. That's not the way it works. The government, Joe Biden's federal government, makes getting permits to drill almost impossible. And Joe's standing up in front of the American people saying, those evil oil companies, oh my goodness, they're sticking it to all of us at the pump. They've got to stop doing that. We need them to go back to producing more oil. We've got to have more gasoline at the pumps so the prices go down. And he damns the oil industry. Do you know what he is totally missing? He's missing the fact that he sent his Treasury Department minions even before the inauguration day to the big investment banks on Wall Street in New York. They are the ones that have made their investors billions of dollars through the years by putting deals together. Deals that they put together include oil companies going out and rolling the dice buying federal leases in an auction, knowing that the federal government can keep them from drilling on that just simply by not approving a drilling well site and then not approving a permit to drill, which they do on a whim. 
Why would they do that? Because they're Joe Biden's Department of Treasury. They do what their boss tells them to do, and that feeds the Green New Deal. It feeds this, quote, transition, unquote, away from fossil fuels. It gives Joe, he thinks, the justification to just keep rolling, that the American people don't care, that they're going broke, they can't buy food, they can't buy medicine, they can't buy clothing, they're dreading their back-to-school time when they, they go in August and they buy school clothes for their kids because they don't have the money to buy school clothes. It's literally down to buying gas and food and praying that our utilities don't get cut off. There are tens of millions of Americans today that live in that world. Do you understand that? Tens of billions of dollars are just poured out on the concrete. That's almost exactly what's happening. We're paying three times more for many little pieces of many products on the shelf, gas that we put in our cars, pretty much for everything. Restaurants to eat a meal, to travel, you get a hotel room, everything for no apparent reason other than the fact that Joe Biden, he made a commitment with whoever the power God of the day is in Washington that his policies are going to be anti-fossil fuel and we're going all in for renewable energy and we don't care what the cost is. We're the federal government. And these people, these Americans, they don't know what's best for them. That's us. That's us. And why are we doing this? Well, it's the science, Dan. Everybody knows that. Have you listened to John Kerry lately? Oh, my gosh. He is the climate czar. Now, remember, there's no office of climate czar in any administration. There's not a spot on your election ticket. As far as national lawmakers and government people, the only votes we get are for president, vice president, your member of Congress in your district, and one of the two senators in your state. That's the only say-so we have. Not so much for John Kerry. He doesn't answer to anybody. I'm about to let you listen to something that will frost you like you've not been frosted yet this week. Joining us now, the Boston Herald executive editor. He's Joe Dwinell. Joe, your newspaper has been leading the country, leading the charge on this. It's great to have you on, sir. How bad is the stonewalling by climate czar John Kerry of your newspaper's Freedom of Information Act requests about what exactly his office is doing? How bad is it? It's as bad as you get. I mean, I've been told that I need to wait till October of 2024. That's not a typo until they're going to give up these records. So what's the secret, John Kerry? I mean, he's you know what he's doing. He's out there, but he's not sharing any information at all. So we don't even know who's on his payroll. Don't I mean, don't taxpayers deserve to know what he's doing, how he's changing U.S. policy and, you know, causing U.S. energy bills to go up? We don't even know who's in his office. 
No, we don't. I mean, you can get dribs and drabs of it, you know, you know, just but only only, you know, little hints of it. Attorney General Merrick Garland, and I have his memo, said that everybody in the Biden administration has to be open and, and get it out to the public. John Kerry's not doing that. John Kerry is told me in a FOIA request and I appealed it and I appealed it to Merrick Garland that I have to wait that the the island that I have. have to wait until October of 2024, just a month, you know, basically a month before the election. It just seems ridiculous. So, Joe, I mean, where where does where is this office sitting? Is it inside the State Department? It is. So I asked that question. They did tell me that today. And, you know, I asked them if they had these satellite offices. They said no. So they're in the State Department. They're part of the State Department. Uh, they're, you know, the, he's the special envoy for climate. That's about it. Okay, I mean, but you he, know what, I also Joe, put, who do they think they are? Seriously, who does John Kerry think he is? I mean, they, the State Department, is this what they're telling you, that this is not, to, you did not demonstrate a compelling need for, for why this information should be out? What's more of a compelling exactly. need? What's more of a compelling need than getting rid of hundreds of millions of gas-powered cars to go electric when the power grid's not ready? When the power grid is powered by fossil fuels? How? Do, what's more of a compelling need than that? Well, and who's giving him his advice? Who? Who are the people? Who are the experts? I mean, this is the first time this office has ever been existed, and and so who are the experts? Who, who, is, who does he turn to? How much does he get paid? Where do they come from? What's their resume? I want to look at every single person. How big is the office? Is the office bigger than the Secretary of State's office? Is it bigger than the White House office? We don't know. None of this. We, they told me to wait and keep waiting. It's been a battle. I'm glad you guys uh, brought me on because I, you know, this is about taxpayers. It's about citizens needing to know who is making these decisions and, and who is behind them. There's a lot going on. You don't know if people come and go. It, it's just all cloaked in secrecy. Yeah, so this guy gets to fly in his private family jet. He gets to fly on so-called polluting airplanes all, all over the world to pick up climate change awards, right, as he did in Iceland. He gets to go on junkets to Antarctica on, on planes. He gets to go to, you know, over in England or the UK, rather, you know, this climate junket with an entourage of polluting cars, and then he's telling everybody else how to live. I mean, I thought this administration was about transparency. Well, Merrick Garland said just that. And so when I appealed to them, they told me no comment. I mean, that took, that took a, a good week or so to get them to, to say something. So at least, you know, they're ignoring me too. So the other thing is I put in FOIAs for his P cards, his procurement card. I put in a FOIA for his, where is he flying? How is he flying? Who's paying for it? We did have a couple stories where he did drop his mask. You might have caught that one during the height of the pandemic. But uh, he does take commercial flights. But okay, give me the itinerary. Give it, not me, give it to the citizens. Get it, give it to the taxpayers. You know, and that's what we keep on pushing for. You know, was he the one, was his team the one who told President Biden to get rid of the Keystone Pipeline? Was he the, or is his team continually undercutting U.S. energy? Is that what's going on? Because I'm telling you, there's outrage about this. We're seeing lawmakers and energy experts, they're furious. Alaska Senator Dan Sullivan, he wants Kerry impeached. He wants to get him out. 
Uh, Rick Whitback, he's with the uh, Alaska State Director of Power of the Future. He says, for Kerry to brazenly kill American job opportunities, then duck your FOIA demands, shows his cowardice and negligence toward being responsible to the American people. Yeah, I wrote that. I wrote that, and I quoted them. And I quoted the senator. And I, and I quoted, and there's a lawsuit being taken out against Kerry for not being open. So what's going on? This is the Freedom of Information Act. It's, it's, you know, anybody can do it. You file it. You should get a response, you know, within a timely manner. If it's a state secret, I can understand it. But who's in his office? That's not a state secret. I don't know what's going on. John Kerry is keeping it secret. Well, this just feels really arrogant. He works for us. We don't work for him. Joe Dwinell, keep on the story. We'll have you back on, okay? Your team's doing a terrific Thank job you. at the Boston Herald. Stay on it. It all boils down to this one thing. What you just heard is actually happening. There is a guy named John Kerry, former senator, uh, former secretary of state. He got booted from uh, election. He was beat by George W. Bush for the presidency, the very controversial one. Remember the hanging chads down in Florida? All of that. This guy is in an unelected, not a constitutional office that was put together. Joe Biden made it up, or whoever his power brokers are that make his decisions for him. And they basically, as you just heard, they gave John Kerry unlimited access to everything and everybody. Nobody can question or even ask questions about anything that happens in that office, who works there, how much they get paid, what's the pecking order, who answers to who, and on what authority are you doing all that you're doing? That has been happening for 18 months. And here we are, a year and a half later, and we're just now pushing to get answers to those questions. How can anybody that works in the federal government justify being able to ignore, ignore people who are trying through the legal channels, the Freedom of Information Act, to obtain records that actually belong to the American people, the information that belong to Americans, not politicians. And this is what Joe Biden's administration is all about. Well, let me just tell you this. We're going we're gonna to take a break, but on the other side of this, you better get ready to tee it up. There's more news coming from the Biden family syndicate. And it is almost to the point of being 100% factual that Joe Biden, now president, is, is compromised because of his son, Hunter Biden. Evidence after this. It's movie season. We count down your favorite movie classics, including When Harry Met the Bathroom. Close Encounters of the Third Bathroom. A river runs through the bathroom. For someone suffering with sucrose intolerance, a favorite movie often ends in the bathroom. If you're experiencing chronic diarrhea, gas, stomach pain, and bloating, remember, sucrose intolerance, or CSID, can be diagnosed by your doctor with the aid of a sucrose breath test. Visit sucroseintolerance.com. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke Summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? And this? And what about this? 
gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Could switching to Geico really save you 15% or more on car insurance? Did the little piggy cry wee, wee, wee all the way home? home. Oh, cool. Thanks, Mrs. A. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Fake news, spin, anger, violence. How do you sort through the chaos? You tune in to TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. The Biden family syndicate is at full strength. It's rocking and rolling. And before we get to the details of that, We've got some big news that just broke moments ago. Coming from the United States Supreme Court, a couple of big cases remain at the end of the uh, term for the Supreme Court actually is today. Well, they just dealt a significant blow to the Biden administration's climate change agenda. They ruled that the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, has no authority to pass sweeping regulations that could overhaul entire industries without additional congressional approval. It was a 6-3 decision. It limits how far the executive branch can go enforcing new environmental regulations on its own. Quote from the opinion, capping carbon dioxide emissions at a level that will force a nationwide transition away from the use of coal that is for generating electricity may be a sensible solution to the crisis of the day. That's Chief Justice John Roberts in the court's opinion. But it's not plausible that Congress gave EPA the authority to adopt on its own such a regulatory scheme in Section 111, Paragraph D. A decision of such magnitude and consequence rests with Congress itself or an agency acting pursuant to a clear delegation from that representative body. So all of this, this case stemmed from the Obama administration's 2015 Clean Power Plan, which aimed to reduce carbon emissions at power plants. The plan was blocked by the Supreme Court back in 2016 and then repealed by the Trump administration and replaced by the less extreme Affordable Clean Energy ACE rule. So after Biden took office, the ACE rule became the subject of litigation that led to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals vacating that rule as well as the repeal of the Clean Power Plan. The Biden EPA, however, has stated it will not reinstate the Clean Power Plan, opting instead to develop and implement its own. So that's decision number one. There is a second decision that just came out of the Supreme Court. And uh, hang on just a second. 
I just had it in front of me. That remain in Mexico policy that uh, court said, had said over and over again, the Biden administration had no power not to enact it. They had no authority to end it. Well, sadly, Supreme Court ruled today they can repeal the Trump administration's remain in Mexico protocols. Under that policy, migrants that come into the U.S. had to stay in Mexico as they awaited hearings after they applied for asylum here. The Trump administration put the policy in place. They did that so that migrants would not just be released like they're being released every day now into the U.S., The Biden administration had tried to repeal the policy, but was previously blocked by a lower court. At issue was whether the Department of Homeland Security's suspension and subsequent termination of the policy violated a federal law that requires that migrants be detained or, if they arrived from a contiguous country, sent back. The key statute number is 8 U.S.C. Section 1225. Part of that says someone applying for admission shall be detained for a proceeding unless they are clearly and beyond a doubt entitled to be admitted. And part of which says if they're from a contiguous territory like Mexico, the attorney general may return the alien to that territory as they await a hearing. Without the ability to detain everyone, Texas and Missouri argued in their lawsuit sending them back when possible is necessary. So during the oral arguments on this case, U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth Preloger argued against the idea that the policy was needed to comply with federal law. On this reading, every presidential administration in an unbroken line for the past quarter century has been an open violation of the Immigration and Nationality Act, she said, adding that if Congress wanted to mandate those results, it would have spoken clearly. Justice Clarence Thomas, he echoed this during oral arguments, questioning whether it was odd for Congress to pass a law that the government could not follow. Thomas also recognized during his oral arguments that the government does have discretion to grant parole although the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals in their ruling in the case noted that under the relevant statute, this is to be done only on a case-by-case basis and not as a general policy applicable to any situation. So I guess if you're keeping score, today for the Biden administration, it would be one and one. One win, one loss at the Supreme Court. The win was they don't have to leave the remain in Mexico policy in place. What does that mean? Oh my gosh. You think we're getting a lot of illegals now? Wait till you see what happens. The cartels, I guarantee you, they were watching Fox News or CNN when this came out from the Supreme Court. They were on the phone calling everybody, everybody that's going to give them a billion dollars a week. Do you know that's what the cartels collectively make? in their illegal immigration operations that they put together. That's what they charge all these people to get led into the United States. A billion dollars a week. So what about the Biden family syndicate? Well, we've heard over and over and over again 
for a long time, a really long time. There are little bits and pieces of things that have popped up in the marketplace that involve Hunter Biden in very shady business deals with very shady people. And there's always been this thread. It's very slim thread. Not a lot of evidence to back it up that proves that Joe Biden has been in that mix. Hunter Biden, his foreign business operations, many of those include very powerful Chinese people. In fact, Hunter on Air Force Two, he went over with his dad who had a official meeting in Beijing with Xi Jinping, the president of China. Hunter tagged along, but he didn't just tag along. The Chinese government set up a meeting between him and the leaders of the biggest energy company in China that in that meeting, they agreed to do business with Hunter Biden. And you know what that business is and was? An investment company. Hunter, who had no background and no expertise, the Chinese government, they wrote a $1.5 billion check, and that's a figurative number. I'm sure they didn't write a check. But they gave Hunter's investment company a billion five hundred million dollars to invest. Now, where's this going? You know where it's going. Every once in a while now, information leaks out that proves the president is more than maybe compromised. We're at the point now, especially after what you're about to hear, that we can say Joe Biden is compromised. Tonight, new video shows the horror when a Russian missile hit that crowded shopping mall in Ukraine. Many still missing from Monday's deadly attack. Ukraine's president Zelensky... And of course, I started the wrong news story there. Please forgive me. Here's the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden story. Joining us now, the ranking member of House Oversight. He's Congressman James Comer of Kentucky. Congressman, it's always a pleasure to have you on. We're hearing this, that you and your fellow Republicans plan to probe Hunter Biden as a national security threat. What do you have on that? Well, we continue to get information, and the the American people continue to get information. We just heard the tape this week where Hunter Biden said his dad would do anything he asked. Uh, that's basically the sales pitch that he made to our adversaries in Russia, China, uh, Ukraine, uh, the Congo, everywhere where Hunter's had a shady business dealing, uh, where he's peddled influence because his last name was Biden. Uh, He uses the sales pitch that his dad will do anything he wants. We found three instances where his dad has in fact made bad decisions and you can only uh, come to the conclusion that he made these decisions solely because he was compromised because he was trying to help What Hunter are those Biden. instances? Uh, the, so you're saying he, the, the president, as vice president, made three bad foreign policy decisions because he was I'm compromised? As what, are, what is that? As president, first of all, uh, when he said he was going to put sanctions on Russia and he was going to put sanctions on all the Russian billionaire oligarchs, he left off two names. These two names just happened to be people who had paid Hunter in the past for consulting. So we have a lot of questions about that. That's one bad decision. Secondly, uh, when we were on the trail of this artwork, when you remember Hunter was an artist for about a month and he sold some of the highest priced art that had been sold in the United States in the last decade, uh, we believe that art went to China. Uh, The White House counsel 
worked with the art gallery owner who we were investigating and we had requested information from and laid out a plan to where that would shield the uh, art owner, the art gallery owner, from having to answer to any congressional oversight. That was the that was the second bad decision. Then the third bad decision is we've uncovered that he has 150 major bank violations in his different various uh, banking accounts, some of which are uh, commingled with the president of the United States' brother. And 150 bank violations, one of these bank violations called a suspicious activity report or a SARS, used to Congress could request from Treasury all the people that had SARS violations in their in their area, in their congressional district, in their state. Joe Biden made a decision and unilaterally, without consulting Congress, changed the rules to where Congress can no longer have access to those suspicious activity reports. It's so bad, even Maxine Waters in legislation has language that would change that uh, order back to allow Congress when to does, have access me, to that let, information. Let me back up. When did the president make that order to change what's going on? With all, the, all of these orders have been since he's been president of the United States in the last year and a half. Okay, so the what SARS. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Finish. Well, the SARS violate the the change in the suspicious activity report transparency that was done early on in the administration. That was before it became public knowledge that. Hunter, in fact, had 150 suspicious activity reports filed on his bank accounts. Now, Liz, these were put in place after September 11th to catch uh, questionable uh, foreign transactions where we where they were tra transferring money in, from foreign countries into accounts to to fund terrorist activities. I mean, this is very serious. Let and me Joe back Biden, up. Let me let me just understand. So let's yeah. just slow walk it through. So the, you're saying that the president had commingled bank accounts with Hunter Biden, right? We know that they were basically sharing bank accounts and covering each other's expenses, and that his do, brother, are you saying his president's brother and the and, brother and Hunter were, and okay. that one of Hunter's associates was writing checks on behalf of the president to Hunter. We we know that. Okay, yes. so you're you're saying these suspicious activity reports filed by U.S. banks into the U.S. Treasury saying, hey, we don't know what's going on with the money flows coming from overseas into these bank accounts. I mean, the SARS are usually to track, you know, money laundering as well. Are you, right. are you seeing yeah. the president connected in any way to those bank accounts? Well, we know the president's brother was connected to the bank accounts, and we know that one of Hunter's associates on one of the accounts that he had some suspicious activity reports filed uh, was writing checks to, you know, back and forth with the president. Remember the email that said your dad's uh, Delaware tax refund came in the mail. I'm going to deposit it into his account, then write a check on him to you. So there's a lot of commingling of accounts. We have a lot of questions, and I think we've already proven that there's uh, enough uh, issue to raise concern that this should be the focus of the oversight. Could this committee. be a tax issue too? It, it th this could be a, a lot of issues here. We're we're very concerned. And, you know, it's not this is not a political witch hunt on Hunter Biden. We've already concluded that Hunter Biden is a shady business character. We are now concerned that Joe Biden may be compromised because of the shady business dealings that Hunter had. And remember, these business dealings are in China and Russia, mainly two countries that are giving us more problems than any countries on the on the globe right now. OK, Congressman Comer, we'll have you back on. We're going to stay on the story. Thanks for joining us. The magic in this report that you just heard, I mean, there are still questions that are unanswered, and the only reason they're unanswered is because the President of the United States, very quietly, he arbitrarily went over the heads of Congress and told that 
nobody can access those SARS reports from the banks of all of these questionable transactions that took place regarding Hunter Biden's bank accounts. Formally, someone could file a request for that information. But now, Congress can't even get it. And it wasn't Congress who put that law in place in the first place that stopped it. It was Joe Biden. Why would Joe want that information covered up? Unless there's compromising information that includes certainly Hunter, but it's become very likely also President Biden. Be sure your sins will find you out. So this January 6th committee hoo-ha, it continues. And it's almost like they're at a state of desperation where they don't have any meat. They don't have the confidence that they can go after former President Donald Trump and keep him from running for office again. So they had a very quick surprise hearing on Tuesday, and they put it together to hear from Cassidy Hutchison, who is a former White House aide. She was the January 6th committee star witness during a surprise hearing that day, and reportedly we found out after her testimony, evidently she fabricated parts of her testimony about conversations she had with former White House counsel Pat Cipollone. During her testimony, Hutchison claimed that Cipollone told her to tell her boss, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, that former President Trump should not go to the Capitol on January 6th. Hutchison testified that Cipollone said, we're going to get charged with every crime imaginable if Trump went to the Capitol. So, the committee's vice chair, Representative Liz Cheney, doubled down on her calls to get Cipollone to testify before the committee because of Hutchison's testimony. As we heard yesterday, White House counsel Pat Cipollone had significant concerns regarding Trump's January 6th activities. That was a Cheney tweet yesterday. Included in the tweet is this. It's time for Mr. Cipollone to testify on the record. Any concerns he has about the institutional interest of his prior office are outweighed by the need for his testimony. But, uh uh-huh, here it comes. Cipollone was not at the White House on the morning of January 6th. That's according to Human Events Senior Editor Jack Posebik. Multiple sources, including one who was at the White House on January 6th, said Cipollone was not there in the morning when Hutchison testified she talked to him. The January 6th committee is aware of this discrepancy and are ignoring media inquiries about it. Seems the entire conversation was made up. That's Posebic saying that. So the controversy around these claims by Hutchison about the alleged conversation with Cipollone, it's the latest blow to her testimony and the January 6th committee's credibility. Posebic's report comes one day after a former White House lawyer disputed Hutchison's testimony about a handwritten statement that she allegedly wrote on January 6th. Hutchison testified she wrote a letter for Trump to release during the Capitol riot. 
However, former White House lawyer Eric Hirschman insisted that he wrote the handwritten note presented to the committee during Hutchison's testimony. The handwritten note that Cassidy Hutchison testified was written by her was in fact written by Eric Hirschman on January 6th. That's a spokesman for Hirschman. Parts of Hutchison's testimony are also at odds with members of the Secret Service. The most sensationalized aspect of her testimony was that Trump allegedly tried to take control of the presidential SUV steering wheel and shouted expletives at Secret Service agents when they stopped him from doing that. But right after Hutchison's testimony, two Secret Service agents in the SUV at that day reportedly confirmed their intent to make statements under oath that would contradict Hutchison's story. Now, when we keep hearing these little irregularities that are happening during the January 6th committee hearings, there have been far too many of them for them to be just little irregularities. It's kind of like the elections of 2020. Oh, yeah, you evil MAGA people. You don't believe the election was fair. You're a conspirator. You have no evidence, yada, 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 yada. There was no cheating, but if there was, even if there was, there certainly wasn't enough to change the results of the outcome. You remember all of that? Facts disprove a lot of things that people say are real. Let me tell you what is going on at the top of this committee especially with Liz Cheney. They knew, they knew that this stuff that Hutchison testified to, they knew about it not being true before they let her testify. They already did. But they're no longer worried about getting any facts, if they ever were, to present to the American people to support their opinions that Donald Trump actually needs to be indicted. Criminal charges. They knew that all of this stuff would be exposed. The parts of it that were unfactual, they would be called out publicly. But they don't care. Why is that? What I'm about to say is an opinion. But it's an opinion based on watching people, watching every type of person that ever has any visibility in the public, how they say what they say, what they say, especially if they're in political positions elected or otherwise. Where are you going with this, Dan? That committee doesn't care about facts. And they don't care if the things that they present and the people they have testify before the American public in these hearings, they don't care if they're truthful or not. They know that Americans in many cases, are just not watching and not listening or don't care about things like this. And they know that most people that hear it, the people that are watching it, are people that are in the tank anti-Trump. And they're going to believe anything and everything, regardless of what the truth of the matter is. In other words, they don't have a problem with this woman telling these lies because they got it out in the public. It's out there. It's like we say all the time, these politicians, 
they come out and make these gross claims about things that they did in the past or that they didn't do. When they're exposed, oh, that's not true. I didn't do that. I didn't say that. They forget everybody. Everything is on YouTube. You can't get away with anything if you're a public figure. It's going to resurface at some point. They're not concerned about that in this witch hunt, this third, at least third, maybe fourth witch hunt against Donald Trump because once it's out there, there's never going to be enough energy to overturn and refute it in everybody's minds. First impressions by humans are always the longest lasting and the most important. This committee doesn't give a rip about the truth. All they care about is creating a scenario from which they can get Trump. That's what it's about. Get Trump and keep him as far away as they possibly can from the the White House. And in the middle of all of this, there's something even more wrong with the supposedly right-of-center media outlets and commentators that are treating this January 6th committee like something other than the appalling Stalinist show trial that it is. In particular, the Washington Examiner and the National Review both ran embarrassing, delusional op-eds about the hearings this week. The Examiner even rated and ran an editorial declaring Trump proven unfit for power again. Why is Trump unfit for power? Because of former Trump White House aide Cassidy Hutchison. Her testimony on Tuesday. It was hailed by the corporate press as explosive and damning. It featured on the front pages of the New York Times, the Washington Post, and replayed ad nauseum on all the cable news shows. What about the Hutchison testimony? She was billed, she was going to be a star witness for the committee. She did make a number of explosive claims. The problem is she didn't actually witness anything. Her testimony was hearsay. Her claims were blown to pieces almost as soon as they showed up. In some cases, because people with firsthand knowledge immediately came forward and said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not true. And in other cases, because the claims themselves were ridiculous on their face. And we just told you a minute ago, the most outrageous one was that accusation that Donald Trump threatened to take the wheel away from a Secret Service member. Get me to the Capitol. None of that was true, we're told. Hutchison admitted she had no firsthand knowledge of this physical altercation between Trump and his security detail. She said she was relaying a confirmation that she had with Tony Arnato, White House Deputy Chief of Staff for Operations, and Bobby Engel, head of Trump's security detail. Just a few minutes after Hutchison testified, NBC News' Peter Alexander reported that Engel and the Secret Service agents inside the vehicle with Trump that day say the president didn't try to grab the steering wheel and didn't assault any agents. Later, a Secret Service spokesman told Alexander that all the agents who were in the president's SUV on January 6th are available to testify under oath, responding to Hutchison's new allegations. Politico, another leftist rag, later reported that the committee didn't even reach out to the Secret Service before airing that Hutchison testimony. 
Anthony Guglielmi, the service's chief of communications, told Politico that select committee investigators didn't ask Secret Service to any personnel to reappear or answer questions in writing in the 10 days before asking Hutchison about the matter at the hearing. But that wasn't the only problem with her testimony. She claimed to have written that note. You heard about it. That was proven that she didn't write it. All of this was known and reported, at least in part, the same day she testified before the committee. That didn't stop the examiner's editors from going along with the rest of corporate media and simply just regurgitating what she displayed outrageous claims before concluding this. Hutchison's testimony confirmed a damning portrayal of Trump as unstable, unmoored, and absolutely heedless of his sworn duty to effectuate a peaceful transition of presidential power. Her testimony did no such thing. And the ridiculous moral preening of the examiner's editors doesn't make her account any more credible, not one iota. If anything, Hutchison unwittingly confirmed that the January 6th committee is just a, a show trial, the purpose of which is to criminalize political opposition to Democrat Party rule and advance the false narrative that Trump is not just responsible for the riot, but he's guilty of treason. You got to wonder what's wrong with these editors. Why they, would they publish such garbage? And it's almost every day now. Do they not realize that one of the propaganda goals of this committee is to elicit these kinds of editorials? It's mission accomplished, Liz Cheney. You got your your verbiage. You got the rags out there to back your senseless allegations against Trump. But even worse than Hutchison's testimony was the take from Tim Carney, who's a columnist for The Examiner, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. On Wednesday, long after the problems with Hutchison's testimony were widely known, Carney penned an unintentionally hilarious column headlined, Ignore Democrats' Distractions. Here's how Trump proved his unfitness on January 6th. Uh, yeah, because the thing we need to focus on here isn't the phony hearsay testimony from a patently unreliable witness in a Soviet-style show trial being conducted by House Democrats. We're supposed to spin this episode to scold the right about how Trump wasn't a good shepherd. It's like Carney sits around thinking up ways to help the left, even when their deceptive schemes are exploding before us all in real time. And then the National Review. For its part, they posted a long-winded column Tuesday night by Andrew McCarthy, declaring Hutchison's testimony to be devastating, even though the key parts of it had already been called into question by people with first-hand knowledge. Since then, McCarthy has penned two additional posts about how the January 6th committee has undercut this devastating testimony from Hutchison and how the fact that it, its hearsay is part irrelevant and part inaccurate. McCarthy, for those who don't know it, is a former federal prosecutor who over the course of his punditry threw cold water on the mere suggestion that former FBI Director James Comey was dishonest 
that Mueller was out to lunch or that the FBI would ever try to obtain a FISA warrant on abject nonsense despite later writing a book refuting himself. Maybe the these people secretly despise everybody on the right, need to feel like they're sticking to their principles and speaking the truth to their own side. Maybe it makes them feel righteous and noble. I don't know. But I do know the testimony on Tuesday from her was a farce, that the January 6th committee is an abysmal spectacle, an abuse of government power, and that anybody on the right who can't see that should either hang up his commentator hat or go ask the Atlantic to host his newsletter. There's no place in real journalism for this kind of stuff. And every day, we're seeing instance after instance, time after time, incident after incident. They're lying in the media. And nobody will take it accountability for it. Even when they're busted, they don't come back. They're fact-checkers. Get Like you heard this morning, we talked about fact-checkers that were immediately disproven for being wrong for their fact checks. Think about that. What a conundrum. Big media. Oh, they're going to fact check what somebody says, somebody does. But then the fact checker gives information that's not real. Who's checking the fact checker? We need fact checker fact checkers. Oh my God. This is unbelievable. Real truth. Real news. TNN. The Truth News Network. Dear Daddy, Dear Mom, I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at SnowballExpress.org. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. <laughs> what are you doing, Snuggle out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Telling the truth, the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Again, here's Dan. I'm told to remind you at least once in every show. If you miss a live show, you can always go back and get them very easily. Any place you go get your podcasts like uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Facebook, even True Social, the new Trump platform. You can get them there shortly after any show is over. So you don't ever have to miss one. How do you, how do you listen to them? I mean, it's two hours, Dan. I don't have two hours, especially in the middle of the morning, that I can just sit down somewhere and listen to the entirety of, of a of an episode of TNN Live. I just can't do it. Let me tell you what I do. 
I go back and I'll reference, I'll keep them until I have finished listening to an entire show, but I'm editing myself. But what I do is I'll spread it out. You don't have to listen to everything all at one time. So just keep it around and listen when you have a few minutes. And if you're driving somewhere, it's really a great way to make a drive go quicker. You get all wrapped up in what we're talking about on the show and you forget about the miles that you have left in front of you. It makes traveling just a little bit easier. Again, that's Truth Social, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, iHeart Podcasts, TuneIn Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and even on Facebook. TNN Live. That's what you search when you go look at it. Don't put in Truth News Network. The show's title, actually formally, it's open quotation marks, TNN Live, exclamation point, and then close quotation marks. Why am I being so exact? When you do a search, it will immediately pop up if you get that right. And you can just bookmark it. And then every day, if you want to listen to that day's show or pull it down, you just click it. It'll pop up, and the homepage will have an index of daily stories, and the latest one is always right there at the top. Anyway, I just dropped that little nugget on you. So what else do we have to talk about? Do you ever listen to Bill Maher, the uh, talk show host comedian on HBO? He's not a, um, what I would call a very intriguing person to me personally. He's just not. He seems like a, a hardcore, he just wants to be negative about anything and everybody. The last few years, though, I've listened in just little pieces. Sometimes when he has somebody on or he's talking about somebody that's very important, I want to go back, I want to circle back and go listen to what he says about that person or that incident. And of late, he has sown his stripes that he's not really a... Um, a hardcore leftist like I thought he was. Now, what do you mean, Dan? What are you talking about there? Well, I'm going to put that off. I'm not going to play that. We, we, we have less than 50 minutes in the show. We have important stuff to get to. We'll talk about Bill Maher another day. And I'll let you listen to this, exactly what we were talking about. But that's happening What Bill Maher is doing, it's happening a lot in mainstream media. Those people don't know factually what's going on. They hear what they are told by conservatives, media pundits. I'm talking about people that go out, do actual investigating, and they come forward with facts and they document it and give you keys to the sources that they have. And still, many of these mainstream media outlets, they either don't believe that or they don't give a rip about it. And they're just going to write, they're just going to video, audio, put people up on camera to say whatever fits the narrative of that particular media outlet. I just can't imagine a scenario when anybody, like anybody that is ownership or management of CNN, would let what that company does, they always have done, report the news from a slanted perspective. If you're a news outlet... Give the news, just the news. You don't have to paint it with your perspective or your opinions. Just give the American people the facts about it. Let Americans decide. That's the most important thing I think that we can pick out of the show today is let us 
decide for ourselves. Just give us the information. We may take a little bit to come up with an opinion on the matter, and we may agree with you 100%, but we're going to hit the pause button when we hear what you say, the allegations you make. We're going to go verify them for ourselves. There aren't a lot of Americans that are still doing that, and maybe, just maybe, that's why we're in the fix we're in. I've done a flip-flop, and my wife will tell you this is very rare. When I make up my mind, I typically, that's it. I'm committed. I'm all in. I want to go back to this Bill Maher piece. I think it's timely today. So you know who Dave Rubin is. Dave is a conservative talk show who I, I like him a lot. He does a daily video podcast. And yesterday in this podcast, he, what I just talked about a moment ago about Bill Maher and the transition that Bill Maher is going through on his show and especially about politics, Dave Rubin weighed in on Bill Maher, the very thing that I talked about, and even in this this uh, sound audio you're going to hear, there's a sound bite from Bill Maher that Ruben's talking about. Listen closely. Bill Maher, who I often describe as a slow-motion conservative, and his moment of truth will come uh, this coming November when we'll get to see uh, if he's going to be still supporting Democrats, and I suspect that he will, unfortunately. Uh, he does get it on a lot of things. He just gets it in slow motion. Here he is getting it about Democrats. And then there's abortion. A difficult issue for the Democrats to lose on. But they're trying. (laughs) For decades, liberals have said if only men could get pregnant, this wouldn't even be an issue. And abortion rights are women's rights. Well, that's wrong now. Or as the kids say, hold up. When the wokey end of the progressive spectrum talks about abortion now, they shy away from that word, women, and prefer terms like birthing people (laughs) or people who menstruate because somewhere there's a trans man who's pregnant and I say good for him and I'll be... (laughs) And I'll be looking for his story somewhere in a future issue of Ripley's Believe It or Not. Oh, Democrats, as with all these issues, the wavering voter is saying to her lawyer, the Democratic Party, hey, so happy for you that you have so many other clients and that you care so much about their problems and all the pro bono work you do. But you're supposed to be my lawyer. Bill, once again, you're right. You're right, but you're right in slow motion. The left has gone completely bananas. So when you talk about the wokey end, as if that has not completely infected the entire host, that is where your mistake is. Show me a Democrat who is against seven-month abortions. Show me a Democrat who is against critical race theory. Show me a Democrat who's against wokeism. I don't mean a couple pundits like you. I mean people who are in power to actually do anything about this. That is the problem. You refused yourself, Bill Maher, to pull that lever, that emergency lever, and get off the crazy train And yes, ally with some people that you think are religious and crazy who are defending the world that you purport you want to live in. I saw this spectacular 
Twitter thread. I had never heard of this Twitter account before, uh, but I thought it so summed up exactly what's going on here and so much of what I've been talking about for years. And I, I was elated because it's like, yeah, normies, regular people are starting to get what's going on here. You know, it's not just you fringe crazy people watching the Rubin Report. So this is a Twitter account known as Lone Rides. And let me just read this thread for you. I think it just really gets to the heart of it. You don't like the decisions yesterday and today. You're really not going to like the next part. I mean, it's your fault, but you're not going to like it. See, we were cool with the status quo. Yeah, we wanted abortion to go back to the States. Yeah, we wanted gun rights expanded. Yeah, we wanted our kids safe from LGBTQ indoctrination, but it wasn't enough to fight about. We thought you were like us, that we could argue and make small gains and lose some ground, but everything's staying fairly level and level-headed. But boy, were we wrong. Because while we were copacetic and just going along to get along, you were pushing. You pushed abortion from legal, safe, and rare in these specific instances. You pushed now to the point of post-birth abortion on demand for any reason. You pushed gun control from background checks and gun-free zones to now red flag laws, which deny due process. You push the rights of gay marriage to now the right of LGBTQ teachers telling kindergartners about their sex life. And during all of this, you push disagreeing politically to calling us Nazis and justifying violence against us, justifying harming our families and our jobs. So now we push back. We pushed back with Trump. We pushed back with state legislators. We pushed back with school boards. And we haven't even begun to push back kiddo. We're going to push abortion back to the rare side in many states. We may give you a time frame like 12 to 15 weeks about what your beloved other industrialized nations give. We may not. We're going to push back on the LGBTQ agenda. We're going to make your lives miserable when you try to get our kids to question their gender. We're going to remove the power you think you have and put it in the hands of parents. You had a chance to call a truce. You had a chance to be in control and happy. You had a chance to just leave us alone. You didn't. You pushed and prodded and provoked, and you're threatening to commit violence now. Good luck with that. There's a saying about the danger of making people who want to be left alone get involved. You've made us get involved. So all of it from here on out is squarely on you. Enjoy the whirlwind you have so deservedly reaped. While we look at the left politically and watch what they do and what they try to do, what they run from, what they definitely don't want to happen, and how they handle all of that. And I shake my head every day. I don't understand how they can, quote unquote, reason using the things they say and then end up doing the things they do that in many cases turn out to be a total disaster that's self-inflicted. I mean, we could stay here all day and list one after another example of what I just said, that's going on just in Joe Biden's own direct uh, input and things that he does on a daily basis. Then you start letting it filter down level upon level below him in his administration. And you're talking about thousands and thousands of people that are making stupid choices and decisions about things that apply directly and indirectly to us. And nobody is held accountable for any of it. Is it good? Great. Everybody's going to say, we're doing a good job. Is it not working? Is it unfair? Is it doing bad things? 
Is it breaking laws? Even if any of that is true, nobody in the Biden administration will ever stand up and say, I'm responsible the buck stops here. Oh, Joe Biden did it during his campaign. He made it very clear. In his administration, everybody would work for him. And therefore, he was responsible for every decision that was made. And he used the phrase, the buck stops here, patting himself on the chest. Well, guess what, Mr. President? If you really mean that, which I don't think you did, but if you really mean that, there's going to be some stuff, some criminality that's in the process of showing its ugly little head that involves you. Who, Mr. Biden, are you going to throw under the bus to try to save any of the perceived integrity that you have that sadly you really don't have? And that's not my opinion. It solely comes from watching and listening to you talking about what you're going to do, what's the right thing to do, trying to make the middle of the road politically in your party make them feel like, well, maybe Joe Biden's still somewhere with us rather than being 100% in with the far left of the Democrat Party. It doesn't work that way. Your credibility is gone, Mr. Biden. If you ever had it, if people actually ever believed you, that's gone. And what do you have left? Well, temporarily, at least, you still have some power. Most Americans hope and wish that you would not be able to have power to do any of this stuff that you've just done that's so egregious, your policies that have put Americans in great, great peril in their personal and business lives. And you seem to not even care. In fact, scarier than that is, you seem like you don't even get it that you don't see what's happening, the things that are happening because of your policies. We're going to take a break, but on the other side, we're going to talk about something regarding Second Amendment, the rate of gun ownership, and how that correlates with gun murders across the nation. It's not necessarily going to be what you think it is, but it's important news, and it's factual stuff that you need to know. Have you heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho. Yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? 
you do. Jeep, there's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1800 plus cities. days now something happens somewhere in the nation something that involves guns and it's almost like the political claws automatically come out all these evil guns these people that own these guns we got to stop these people we got to stop the criminality but then look at the big cities around the nation and look at what's happening in those big cities and look what local law enforcement is or not is doing to stop this gun craziness. And of course, everybody, the quick fix is always, we got to take away the guns. We've got to find a way as Americans to outlaw private gun ownership. People don't need to own guns. We have the military. There's local and state law enforcement, federal law enforcement. We're out here to take care of the people. We don't need people having guns running around and using them against each other. When our founders put the Constitution together, when they came back after they had finished the first version, and they watched what, as they rolled it out, what happened in the populace when this first Constitution rolled out, they saw some things that looked pretty scary. And the scary things that they were seeing happen weren't things that involved so much the American people, but the government people that were in the government and you got to remember the circumstances in which they fled Europe to come to the U.S. which wasn't the U.S. at the time it was America and it was in great part about government intrusion and government control over the private lives of citizens they felt and they made it part of our law fundamental cornerstone of our law is government is never to have total authority over the people In fact, it will always be the other way around. And so to make sure that everybody understood what the Constitution meant about individual rights, they framed the first 10 amendments called the Bill of Rights, and they were sending messages to people that lived then and that were working in government, and they wanted it to stand for all time so that everybody going forward that served in public service in the government would understand what rights were withheld from the government and made the exclusive property of American citizens. Two of them are the biggest. The First Amendment, of course, is free speech, freedom of the press, freedom of religion. The second one, I don't know, it may be the most contentious one, the right for private citizens to own and bear arms. So every time some incident happens, like Uvalde, 
The gun law that is now in place, that Joe Biden signed in place last week, it's a direct result of that shooting in Uvalde, Texas. When this was being pushed, and it was being voted on in both the House and the Senate, this is what crossed my mind. We should be very careful as a nation about legislation that we even start thinking about. When that legislation and the push to even get into it comes from something that is very emotional, and that emotional power that comes from a Uvalde, Texas-type shooting is the sole basis for considering controlling guns, the government controlling guns. The left, they pushed so hard because they could use the Uvalde shooting incident as an arrow in their quiver to do away with the Second Amendment and the rights that are contained in it. That's why they push forward. And of course, the guys, as always, we got to take guns off the street because people are taking those guns and they're killing each other. But some news came out overnight. Calls have rung out once more across the nation demanding gun control laws. And it all comes anytime there's big violent crimes going on, such as the recent series of mass shootings around the country. And then we go back to that thing, you know, facts, data, real information on which we're supposed to use to make decisions, data shows that in states with higher percentages of households with at least one gun, crimes are not higher than in states with strict gun laws. Gun ownership is higher in states with fewer restrictions. Homicide rates in these states are lower. People can protect themselves. That's George Mason University Professor Emerita Joyce Lee Malcolm She's found that information through her research. Malcolm pointed to a study on burglars from 1986 that found 34% of burglars interviewed reported to have been scared off, shot at, wounded, or captured by a victim that was armed. So Fox News Digital, they put together FBI data from 2019 that details murders and gun murders per 100,000 population for most every state, as well as assembled RAND Corporation data released in 2020 showing the percentage of households with at least one firearm. The data doesn't reflect the skyrocketing violent crimes of 2020 and likely undercounts the current percentages of homes with at least one firearm as it doesn't reflect the influx of Americans who rush to buy arms for themselves in 2020 and since. This data show that many states with higher percentage of gun ownership actually had lower or similar murder rates and gun rates to states with strict gun control. Montana and Wyoming came in on the top spots for states with the highest percentage of gun ownership. More than 66% of households in those two states have at least one gun. But the states also saw murder and gun murder rates similar to states with strict gun laws. In 2019, Montana recorded one and a half gun murders per 100,000 population, two and a half murders per 100,000. In Massachusetts, that's a place where they got strict gun laws. 
tied with New Jersey, Massachusetts did, for lowest gun ownership in the country at 14.7% of households with at least one gun. The state saw similar murder rates to Montana at 1.25 gun murders per 100,000 people, 2.12 murders for the same population. And then there's California. In California, just over 28% of households had at least one gun back in 2016. There was a rate of more than four people murdered per 100,000, nearly three gun murders per 100,000 in California in 2019. While in Maryland, where about 30% of households owned at least one gun, murders per 100,000 population jumped to roughly nine, while more than seven per 100,000 were victims of gun murders. Gun ownership in the U.S. in 2010 found it was at about the same levels as in 2016. But gun ownership spiked in 2020 during the pandemic amid the summer riots and protests, partially driven by first-time gun owners from different racial and political backgrounds. Let me just say this. There are more African Americans in the United States today, far more, that went through the process to purchase legally a gun and keep it legally to protect them. Greatest percentage, greatest number ever. John Lott, who's the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, looked at the data and said that though graphs making comparisons across places are very common, they're too simplistic. They don't account for many other reasons that crime rates can vary, like law enforcement, drug gang problems, demographics, cultural differences. He advised to look at a singular place over time to see how crime rates change as gun ownership rates change and to compare them in many different places. He noted there are places around the world that have banned either all guns or all handguns, yet every single time those bans have been enacted, murder, homicide rates have gone up. It boils down to this, people. If somebody's made a decision to break the law violently, they're going to find a way to do it. We've said this before again and again, but it's a fact. In the United States, last year, the year before, the year before that, every year, more people are killed with hammers than are people that are killed with guns. That's a fact. So what does that lead to? What does that mean, Dan? I'm giving you facts on which you can make your opinions. Draw your opinions, make your conclusions, make your decisions about how any of this impacts you. What does that mean? Well, it means that probably the concentration on gun crimes and the criminal use of guns against other citizens it's a very big deal, emotional deal. Now, I got to be honest with you. If you're going to die by being hit in the head with a, can- a hammer, or you're going to die being shot in the head, you probably would rather go by being shot in the head. Both of them are deaths. But most people think, and because of politics, strictly because of politics, that getting shot and killed by a gun is far worse than being killed by the use of a hammer. 
That explains the conundrum there. It really does. But the bottom line, again, is if people choose to break the law, people are going to break the law, period. That's a fact, and it doesn't matter the rules. I mean, we can pass laws and institute regulations that make it tougher to get the ability to break the law and create and perpetuate a life of crime. I, I understand that, but that could be done. And it doesn't matter what the restrictions are put on it. I mean, look at what happens. How many people are killed every weekend in Chicago? I bring this up all the time, but it's a great example. It happens every weekend. I've asked the question. I've actually written trying to get the information, the data. Over the last year, this is exactly what I asked the police chiefs there. Over the last year, of all of the felony gun crime that happened in Chicago, how many times were those acts perpetrated using legally purchased guns? And how many times were they perpetrated with illegal guns? We don't have that answer. That would solve a lot of the up-in-the-air stuff where people keep saying things based on quote-unquote facts and they're not actually facts. It's interesting. We need to make a lot of heavy, heavy decisions. But we don't have the factual information with which to do that. How do we get that? It has to start. It has to start with the government that understands and acknowledges and acts like it is answering legally to the people. There's an obligation to get facts, to give us information on which we base our decisions. Our government is anything but forthcoming with any kind of data, any kind of details, any kind of information that goes against their political position on all of these big issues, especially guns. Now more than ever, you need the truth. Real news. Real truth. TNN. The Truth News Network. not be able to lower the cost of gas, but we can do something about how many miles you will drive per gallon. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store today and let us help you increase the performance of your car or truck. Simple things like replacing your air filter, changing worn out spark plugs, and using fuel injector cleaner can add up to better fuel economy and big savings. There's an O'Reilly Auto Parts store close to you that has the name brands, low prices, and people who can help. Restore lost fuel economy and eliminate rough idle with Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts by two and get one free. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner quickly cleans clogged injectors to increase fuel efficiency and help your vehicle run smooth. Lucas Fuel Injector Cleaner, buy two, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply, see store for details. Something very important is happening now in our government. We talked earlier, we got into the January 6th committee hearings and all that kind of stuff. But let me give you something that happened yesterday. 
and I haven't seen or heard anybody else talk about this, just when the wife of one of those incarcerated January 6th prisoners believed that things couldn't get any worse, the Department of Veterans Affairs, the VA, informed her they are going to suspend all of her husband's benefits. Now, this is a veteran. He went to war for his nation. According to U.S. Representative Louis Gomer, who his office is about 25 miles from where I sit in TNN Live studio, he's in northeast Texas. We're in northwest Louisiana. According to Gomer, this is what you have when vindictive leftists get in charge of major parts of our government. Here's the facts. In an unsigned letter from the VA that is dated June 13th, appearing to originate from the Director Regional Office, Angel and Kenneth Harrelson were notified that the VA received information from the Department of Justice that Kenneth had been indicted and charged with seditious conspiracy. Now, this is in the January 6th event. The letter further noted that pursuant to 38 U.S. Code 6105, forfeiture for subversive activities after receiving notice of an indictment for the above offense, the VA must suspend payment of gratuitous benefits pending disposition of the criminal proceedings. If convicted, gratuitous benefits are forfeited automatically from and after the date of the offense. Of course, the date of the offense is January 6, 2021. Based on the information above, the VA further informed the Harrelsons that they proposed to suspend their compensation benefit payments effective September 1 this year. That's the first day of the month following a 60-day due process order. According to the 18-page criminal complaint against him, Harrelson was charged with conspiracy, obstruction of an official proceeding, and aiding and abetting destruction of government property and aiding and abetting entering and remaining in a restricted building or grounds, tampering with documents or proceedings. And according to the arrest warrant, Kenneth was arrested at his home in Titusville, Florida, March 10th of last year. That's important. Remember that. He was arrested at his home, put in jail, March 10th, 2021. He currently is being held in the Correctional Treatment Facility in Southeast Washington, has been incarcerated without a trial, without being convicted of any crime, for over 475 days. 475 days. This guy has been charged. But where is the guarantee, the constitutional guarantee, of a speedy trial? Do you know that this guy is one of close to 100 in the same shape that are locked up. They're not getting due process. Have to just very rarely have short conversations with their attorneys. Don't get visitors. I mean, this is not an American thing. On this show, numerous times, we've had a man live from his jail cell in Bogota, Colombia. Mark Grennan, who was put in jail in Colombia at the behest of of Dr. Anthony Fauci because as a medical missionary, Grennan and his family and other people had been for more than two decades around the nation treating illnesses effectively, very effectively, 
with chlorine dioxide. Chlorine dioxide, it was nationally declared the medicine of choice to be used against all COVID-19 outbreaks by several South American countries. And their COVID-19 infections immediately plummeted after people started using it. In fact, the government of Bolivia, they bought chlorine dioxide for its citizens and passed it out. So they're holding this guy, Harrelson, been charged, no trial, no due process whatsoever, the same thing that Mark Grennan is dealing with today. On page two of that letter, it explains that if convicted, the change in his benefits may mean the VA has paid too much, in which case they will send another letter letting them know if the changes go through, if the charges go through. If so, the VA's Debt Management Center will send a letter explaining how much they've been overpaid as well as how to repay the debt that they owe. Page 4 provides clarification of what VA.gov is and provides information on how enrolling in the VA is so easy. This is what you have when vindictive leftists get in charge of major parts of our government. What we're seeing is when immoral, mean-spirited leftist people take over the government, they use every aspect of governing to try to inflict their hatred on people with whom they disagree. Even after most of the Democrats in the House obstructed an official session of Congress back in June of 2016, at that time, none of us were saying these people have to go be put in jail. We just wanted to be able to go back into session as the majority. But when they have power obstructing an official session of Congress, which is the worst charge many of the January Sixers were charged with, we see the left wanting to bury them, take away any benefit, destroy their lives. And not only their lives, they want to destroy their homes, destroy their children's lives. This is an evil, toxic atmosphere when these types of people are in control of so much of the federal government. This is going on in the freest nation on the planet, right? Yeah. I don't know if you heard what came out of what President Biden did yesterday when he was in Spain. I, uh, I saw this late last night. This really bothers me a lot. The U.S. is going to create a new permanent army headquarters in Poland and deploy additional land, air, and sea forces across the length and the breadth of Europe. The justification for us doing that is in response to threats from Russia. Joe announced this yesterday, quote, I'm announcing the U.S. will enhance our force posture in Europe and respond to the changed security environment as well as strengthening our collective security. We're going to continue to adjust our posture based on the threat in close consultation with our allies. The Biden administration said the U.S. would take several additional actions, including some deployments already announced since the Russian invasion of Ukraine, establish a permanent headquarters for the U.S. Army's 5th Corps 
in Poland. Almost double the number of U.S. Navy destroyers stationed at Spain's Rota Naval Base. The number will reach four to six once this deployment is completed. Added 20,000 additional U.S. forces to Europe, bringing the total of U.S. military personnel in Europe to 100,000. Position a rotational brigade combat team in Romania that will add 3,000 fighters, another 2,000 personnel. Send two additional squadrons of advanced F-35 fighter jets to Britain. Add 625 troops in Germany to oversee and carry out our air defense artillery, combat sustainment support, and an engineering mission. Station a short-range air defense battery in Italy, adding 65 personnel. Enhance U.S. rotational deployments in the Baltic states, including armored aviation, air defense, and special ops forces. The White House said the news stationing of U.S. forces to Europe is to support NATO and to deter any aggression against our allies. Now, here's the reason why I brought this up at the end of the show today. Everything that happens in the Biden administration, I mean everything, I don't care what it is, I question it all. I don't ever believe the purposes for anything they do have to do with what they tell us they're doing it for. There's always something else afoot. What's afoot with Joe sending troops, more troops, to Europe? What's going on? What does Joe Biden know that you and I don't know? And I don't have the answer. It's a wrap on TNN Live for Thursday, the last day of June. Listen, I hope you have a great day. We're still watching. We're looking. And we're finding all those things that are important to you. We bring them to you every day. And we'll do that tomorrow at 9 o'clock Central. We'll see you then. The song came and went Like the times that we spent Hiding out from the rain Under the carnival tent I laughed and she'd smile It would last for a while You don't know what you got Till you lose it all again Listen to the
sound of a summer storm Laid on the lake like a mandolin Now it's washing her away Once again Listen to the 